When I say the word promise, does a person come to your mind, a story, an experience around the word promise? Does that, does that come to your mind? The reason I ask that is, is because when you stop and think about promises, we have hundreds of promises swirling around us all the time. I mean, our lives are filled with promises. If, if you look in our bulletin, we promised to start service at a certain time today, and we did. You have already had a fulfilled promise in your life. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of promise. We don't ever really think about it as a promise, but we have hundreds of promises swirling around us all the time, more than we can count. And yet, when I say the word promises, I, I don't think what comes to our mind is all these promises. I think what comes to our mind is one. One experience, one, one person, one promise. And gosh, I, I hope that that experience, that what comes to your mind is just how enriched your life has been, how full your life has been because of how this promise was made, how this promise was kept in your life. But, but my fear is that maybe for maybe a few too many of us, that's not what's coming to our mind. What's coming to our mind is a story, a person about a, a broken promise, Right? Maybe it's not one promise. Maybe, maybe it's a lot of promises. And maybe even some of those promises aren't even that big. They're, they're little broken promises. It, I mean, by themselves, it's no real big deal. By themselves, they didn't, they didn't change life. But boy, over and over, one after another, the little ones can start to add up and feel like a, a, a big one. You know, that leaves a mark. And, and I'm sure in this room right now, maybe listening to us on the internet, I, there would be those that have had a big promise broken too, right? Big, life-changing, maybe life-wrecking, but that, that, that promise was, was broken. Man, I, I tell you, my prayer as we go through this, whatever your experience with promise is, is that our hearts are, are growing, our hearts are open to the great promise-maker to the great promise keeper that God is. Man, we so much need these promises. Listen, His promises are not, are not luxuries to make life more comfortable, more enjoyable, more palatable. His promises are not bribes. They're, they're not bribes to get you to do something so that you in turn end up see, meeting some need in, in His life. No, His promises are what meets core needs, necessary needs in our lives. We need these promises. And that's true. That statement is true for every single promise of God. But man, what we're looking at today. I mean, I mean it's just hard to imagine what I even have, what I even am. Where, where am I? Where are you without this promise? Because really, this promise is what gives access to all the promises. It's this promise that, that when I have re rebelled against God, when I've rejected God, when I've told God, I don't love you that much right now, that when that's happened, it's this promise that provides a way back, a way back to, to where I have all that I have that God has provided. 
Man, this is, this is a big one here today, and it's an important one, it's, it's an awesome one. Let's look up here at the screen, open your Bible if you have it, and I, I do encourage you not just to rely on the screen, have your Bible, open it up, keep it open, and, and see if in fact the message rises up out of the Word, or if I'm making this up. You, you need to see that I'm not making it up, but you need to see it rising up out of the Word, or else you should not be listening to what I'm saying. Because I'm pretty sure we're not here to hear what I need to say, right? No, man, what we need is what God has to say. So even though a verse is up here, man, I hope you'll open it and kind of follow along as we go through this. First John, right at the end of your Bible, go to Revelation and just back up a few. You'll be there quick. First John 1, 8 through 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from, what's this word? Okay, that wasn't a trick question. Let's let's say it like we mean it. What's this word? All. That's a big word because we struggle with that. We we really do. I mean, I know God forgives all sins except mine. God forgives all sins except what I did over there or that that season in my life. I mean, we struggle with this word all, but, but folks, in the Greek language, all means... Well, it means all. It, it just means all of them. Now, right away we might say, wait a minute, I thought, isn't there an unpardonable one? Isn't that what you're saying to the person? I thought there was one that can't be forgiven. Ask them. Yeah, there is an unpardonable sin. Okay, well then, if there's an unpardonable, if there's an unforgivable sin, then is that not a contradiction with the word all? No, it's not. Watch the flow here. Jesus said that there's one unpardonable, unforgivable sin. It's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And if you look at the story at where that takes place, it appears that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is rejecting the Holy Spirit's witness in your life about who Jesus is. Well, if I reject Jesus, what have I just rejected? My path to getting... Okay, you're still struggling with the word. It's, it's, it's A-L-L. It's just like we learned in third grade. If I, if I reject Jesus, then I reject my path to all sins being forgiven. Okay? So there's a, the one unpardonable is to reject the one that gets it all forgiven. Now, when we, when we read these two verses, as a matter of fact, my guess is there's some people throughout the room here who have memorized, I can't, I can't quite cover it up just right, you've memorized 1 John 1, 9. I, I, I bet we got a handful of people, but you didn't memorize verse 8. I know that about you. Yeah, we know 1 John 1, 9 is a good memory verse. Verse 8, not so much. No, verse 8 and verse 9 go hand in hand. They go together. We read these as kind of a, a, a condition. You know, if I confess, then this will happen. And there's no doubt there's a condition there. But look at verse 8 and 9 together. And, and see what the writer's saying. is saying, hey, listen, you and I, and, and as children of God, we sin. And, and we're going to do one of two things in handling that sin. One, we're just going to say it's not there. I deny it. It's, it's, it's not sin. Or I'm going to go to God and deal with it. Do you see how, what's being presented here now? Verse 8, hey, listen, if this is the route you're going, you're, you're handling your sin by saying it's not sin. You're, you're handling sin by saying, I, I say we, we either dismiss it or we minimize it. If that's what you're doing, then you're filling your life with deceit. You're deceiving yourself and, and the truth is not in us. It's not just the truth about that sin, it's truth in general. 
So the more I deceive myself, the more I set myself up to really not be able to make any decisions, to have a lack of clarity, to have a lack of confidence because truth is not at work, deceit is at work. So that's one way. Or God's saying, hey, listen, there's another way to do this. We confess. We confess. And then what will we experience? And, and, and so this is, this is the promise that, that is being given to us. This is the, the promise that is being handed to us. Now, who's the us? Children of God. What, what God is giving us in this promise is access back into fellowship with God. Not, not, this isn't talking about a relationship. This is talking about fellowship. Now, fellowship is an interesting word. I was, I was thinking about this. You know, we only use that word in church, don't we? I mean, it's a real churchy word. We're talking about, oh, did you enjoy the fellowship today? And, oh, I love the fellowship in this church. We say, there's a fellowship at 1 o'clock in C120. I mean, we use that word all the time. But if you notice the moment we pull off this property, we don't use that word anymore. I mean, do you use the word fellowship at work? No. you use it on the ball field? No. Do you use it at school? No. Are you wondering what the point is? I have no point. I just thought it was kind of interesting. We use the word fellowship all the time inside the building at this address. Don't use it at all once we pull off. But it is important that we understand what fellowship is right here. Okay? We are not falling out of a relationship with God when we sin. We are falling out of fellowship. The relationship is secure. There is a place in your life, in my life, for a lot of us, We might have been three years old, 23-year-old, 53-years-old. We might have been sitting in a worship service. We might have been at youth camp. We we were sitting somewhere, and we came to that place in our lives where we finally came to the end of ourselves. And we realized, hey, listen, I, I, I need to turn to God. I need to come under, as we said last week, God's love. I need to come under God's purpose for my life. And when we did that, when we came and placed our faith in Christ, all of our sins were forgiven. You know, when Jesus died for you on the cross, all your sins were in the future, right? I mean, a lot of times you say all sins, past, present, and future. But I would say it's not even breaking it down into past, present, and future. That's how you and I need to think. Oh, so you realize when God looks at your sins and my sins, it's just all our sins, He doesn't have to break it down into past, present, and future. He sees the past, the present, and the future all in one continuum, all in one moment. So when Christ went to the cross and died for my sins, he was dying for all the sins, whether I was born before the cross or I was born after the cross. The cross forgives all of my sins. And at that moment, I become a child of God. Amen? Man, I'm a child of God, a follower of Christ. I I have God's love and forgiveness. Now, the relationship is secure. Fellowship can waver. Fellowship. What's fellowship? Fellowship is how I enjoy that relationship. Fellowship is how I live in that relationship. I have four kids. We addressed them last week. I'm, I'm their dad. Do you realize nothing can change that? No matter how good or bad, no matter what goes on in the relationship, I am their father, they are my children, and nothing can change that. Now, how much they enjoy that or I enjoy that, well, that can change, can't it? That, that, that can waver. Well, it's likewise with God. Well, I, I am a child of God, and here's the good news. That's the basis by which I go to heaven is being a a child of God by the work that that Christ did for me. The relationship is secure. But our obedience or our disobedience can have an impact on how much I enjoy the relationship, what I experience 
in their relationship. And so I, I'm a child of God. That doesn't change. But if, if in being a child of God, I, I start to disobey, I start to tell the Lord that I don't love Him. Now, we don't say that, do we? I would imagine there's very few of us in here have ever said, hey, Lord, I just want you to know I just don't love you at all. Now, we're probably not going to say it that, but isn't that what disobedience does? I mean, Jesus said that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And that's not, that's not weird. Oh, why would Jesus say that? It's the same with us. We all, we all want to hear people say, I love you. But, but ultimately, the actions back up the words, right? Ultimately, actions go with the words. So when you and I are sinning, and, and, and you know, we have this tendency to want to break it up into big sins and little sins and inconsequent. When you and I are sinning, what we're saying is, not so much right here. I mean, I love you, Jesus, but not right in this moment. I, I, I don't love you right here. I don't love you right now. I, I don't love you more than I love that. I, I don't love you more than I love myself. I don't trust you more than I trust my own way of seeing this. and So I'm saying I don't love you, I don't love you, I don't love you with, with every single sin. Well, as you can imagine, if I was actually verbalizing that, I mean, if I, every time I saw I said, I just want you to know I still don't love you, I'm going to guess some distance gets created, wouldn't you? Now, I, I'm still in relationship with God, I'm still His child, but distance is getting created. And here's the crazy thing. While I'm creating that distance, while I'm telling God that I don't love him, do you know that he continues to love me? It, not more, not less. It's, it's perfect love. I mean, you stop and do the math on that. that doesn't, God, God can't love you more on your best day and love you less on your worst day. His love is perfect. It doesn't get more or less. He entirely loves you while you're saying, I don't love you that much right now. His love does not change. What changes is my ability to experience it. What changes is my ability to enjoy it. You know, when I'm saying, God, I don't love you, God, I, I'm going to go ahead and dis disobey you right here, God is still with me. As a matter of fact, that's a promise we're going to look at a little later in June, that God is always with us. His presence with me does not change when I'm in sin. My ability to draw on that presence to sense and enjoy that presence. Oh, that very much changes. Watch this. Even when I'm rebelling and rejecting God, His forgiveness doesn't change. I, I have all of His forgiveness. But as I continue to move forward in sin, as I continue to say, I don't, I don't love you that much, I don't love you right now, I don't love you right here, what, what starts to happen in my life is I start sliding by my own behavior, I start sliding back into shame, back into guilt, back into fear. God's love has not changed for me, God's forgiveness has not changed for me, I've lost my ability to enjoy that, I've gone to a natural consequence of, of living in rebellion to someone or something, I'm, I'm going to feel guilty, I'm going to feel bad. So there, there's that distance there. So what this promise is addressing, I, I don't know if you've ever thought of this question, thought of this issue, but what does a forgiven person do when they sin? What, what does somebody do that already forgiven, already a child of God? What do we do when we have created distance between us and God in the last moment? Or maybe it's in a whole season of our life that we're coming through. What, what do we do in that moment? Man, can, folks, can you imagine God has an answer for that? 
God has a promise for that question. And he says, hey, confess. Confess and, and come back and enjoy Come back and live in. Come back in and wrap up in the forgiveness, the love that I have for you. Man, that's awesome, isn't it? What an awesome thing God does for us here. So what do we do? We, well, we confess. What does confess mean? Well, that's not, that's not a tricky word. We know what that means. It, it means I say I, I did wrong. I, I, I want you to know I, I, I did something not right here. I, I broke the window. <laughs> I, I did that. We, we agree with God about what sin is. We acknowledge that sin in our lives. Now, that, that's getting tricky because we have so much in our lives telling us that nothing's sin anymore. Re- remember back to that, that what we saw, verse 8, verse 9? We, we've got two ways that we're going to handle sin. One is to deceive ourselves. And notice who it is we're deceiving. We're not deceiving God. We're not, we're not fooling Him. We're not even deceiving others. We're, we're, we're building the lie, we're building the darkness and the deception in ourselves as we say, I, that's not a sin, I, I, I don't, there's nothing for me to confess, I didn't do, I didn't do anything wrong right there. And, and we've got the influence of a whole lot of the word telling us, hey, there's nothing to say you're sorry for anymore, there's nothing that, that's, that's really wrong anymore. Or maybe we acknowledge something is wrong, but instead of just dealing with it honestly, we start to whittle it down, right? Well, I, yeah, I know I shouldn't have done that, but you know... They did this, and they said that, and, you know, I kind of had to, and all I had, you know, and we just whittle, whittle, whittle down to where we got it so small, I really don't even have to confess it anymore. That's all a deception. We're lying to ourselves. We're, we're hurting ourselves. And God says, hey, man, just stop. stop. Man, you're, hurt, you're hurting your own life. You're building darkness and deception in your own life. Listen, there's a better way to do this. Confess. Man, you know, I hate, I hate to sound cliche-ish here folks, but if the Bible calls it a sin, it's a sin. I mean, that just really needs to be the end of the discussion for us. I I recognize the world will not acknowledge that. I recognize unbelievers will not acknowledge that. But when I say I'm a believer, that means I believe in Jesus. I believe the words out of his mouth. I believe what he said, right? If the Bible says it's a sin, it's a sin. If the Bible addressed it, it's because it was a big enough deal that God wanted us to hear him on it, right? So I don't need to be dismissing it, and I don't need to be whittling it down. I just need to kind of deal with the reality of what God said. And He said, hey, this is a sin. And when I confess, when I go, hey, God, I, I, I believe you on this. I, I, I believe what you're saying, and that's in my life. That, that word, that action, that attitude, that behavior is going on in me right now. I, I confess that as a sin before you. And notice what we're doing. We're confessing. You know what we're not doing? We're not begging and pleading for forgiveness. I already have it. All my sins are already forgiven. There's not, we're not forgiving them one at a time. Okay, you, hey, listen, hey, you confessed nine of them, but you have four more to go. Oh, you forgot them? And <laughs> I'm not forgiving you. No, they're, they're already forgiven. We're not begging and pleading for forgiveness. We're stepping back in to enjoying it. Oh, if we just trusted the forgiveness, right? But we don't. We don't. I think there's a variety of reasons we don't trust that forgiveness. I, you know, when I say we don't, kind of like I, I doubt any of us say, I don't love you, God. I, I would imagine a lot of us, especially if we've been going to church for any amount of time, are probably not going to say, I don't trust God's forgiveness. As a matter of fact, we've learned something else in our life. 
And it's not just in us. It, it goes on all across America. I'm not sure if this is worldwide or not. But when we're living under guilt and shame and, and I, you know, that person said they forgive me. And I know, I know God says he forgives me, but I'm still struggling with this. Well, we've learned that the big issue in our lives is I need to do what? I need to forgive myself. You ever heard that? Ever felt that? I, I, I need to forgive myself. Now, folks, you... You hear this going on all around. You may have even been in counseling in her. You might have, I almost hate to say this, you might have even heard this from a Christian counselor. You know, we, we need to get you to forgive yourself. Can I just say something with all gentleness? It's a lie. You can't forgive yourself. There's no such thing. The Bible is a book on forgiveness and there's not one sentence, not one phrase about how I forgive myself. Do you know Why? Because it's nonsense. It doesn't even make... this When we're living in the deception, weird stuff starts making sense to us. Math that doesn't add up. So, oh, yeah, that, yeah i got to forgive myself. Let me tell you why I think this is so nonsensical. Next time you get a speeding ticket, and I'm not implying that there's going to be a next time. It's just it's a hypothetical situation, right? But ne- next time you get a speeding ticket, don't, don't pay it online, don't ask for driver's ed, don't, don't do any of that. You, you, you go to court, and you go, you go before the judge, and you tell them, you don't, you don't even need to speak, I just want you to, I've, already, I've already got this handled. There doesn't need to be a fine or court cost, we don't need to hear the testimony of the officer about my behavior when I got pulled over. We don't, we need to, I, just, I just want you to know, I have forgiven myself. You, you, don't, you, don't, you don't need to do anything I've, I've got. So I'll just, I'll leave now, okay? Now, I don't know what the exact words of the judge in the next moment are going to be. I can't imagine they're going to be good. You're not only going to get a fine, you're probably going to get to get some evaluation, right? Hey, I've, I've, folks, there's no such thing as absolving yourself of wrong. That, that does, that, that's not a, a Christian statement. That's not a mean Bible statement. That's a reality statement. There's nowhere in life where I can say, I am no longer under the consequences of the wrong I've done. I, I no longer need to be held responsible. I have for, there's no such thing. Do you know why we continue to feel shame and guilt? Do you know why we continue to beat ourselves up? Because we have chosen not to trust God's forgiveness. We may not be voicing it, we may not be acknowledging it, but that is our problem. We're coming to something only God can do, only God can provide, and we're acting like I still have some penance to pay. I still, I know God's forgiven, I know they've, but I still have to work something out. Know what you're professing, and this is a hard word, you're professing to your own pride. You're professing that God's forgiveness is not enough. And now you've got to come and add something to it. And my friend, I only say that to you because you will never arrive at peace on that path. You will never be let go of that sin. Say, well, I tried to trust God's forgiveness. I even pray, God, help me to trust your forgiveness. But I woke up the next day. Of course you're going to wake up the next day with shame and guilt. That's Satan's specialty. Satan wants to absolutely do everything he can to make sure you don't enjoy what's fellowship. Enjoying the good that I have in my relationship with God. And so Satan is going to constantly whisper in your how unworthy you are, how ugly you are, what a mess you are, you don't deserve, you shouldn't have. And, and we, don't, we don't acknowledge that it's Satan's voice, it's me speaking to me, so then I come up with this crazy idea, I've got to forgive myself. 
No, you need to reject Satan's lies and trust God's word. You are forgiven. Now, there's other reasons we don't maybe accept the forgiveness. Maybe, maybe it's just our experience with forgiveness around here on this earth. I mean, you know, if you're going to go and confess something, you ever been nervous? You know, you're going to go tell the boss, ah, yeah, I took the million dollars. <laughs> you know, you're going to go tell the teacher, ah, yeah, I, that wasn't really my paper. It's my big brother's. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to confess something like that, what are you concerned about? Aren't you a little bit nervous about their response? Isn't that what God gave us in the promise? Here's the response. When you confess, you can... What's the word we learned last week with a promise? Expect. Here's the response you can respect. And we saw two things in the phrase that followed. When you confess, you're going to find me faithful. You're going to find me just. Let's think about those two words real quickly. Faithful. What's faithful mean? If you, if you say to man, that person's faithful. It means you can count on them, right? They're going to be where they said they were going to be. They're going to be there at the time they said they were going to be there. They're, they're going to do what they said they were going to do. Sometimes it's maybe even their character. You can just count on them to be, you, you, you know, they, they don't switch gears on you. <laughs> you know, they're not, maybe say, they're not a hypocrite. You you can always count on them to be who they are. Well, folks, the the Bible loves to profess the faithfulness of God in all kinds of areas. But one area, one issue where, where faithfulness is always tied is forgiveness. And God is faithful to forgive. Do you understand why? Because it's it's nothing about you. It's about him. It's his character. That's what he is. His character is one of forgiving. I love the way Psalm 145 verse 8 expresses this. The Lord is gracious and merciful. I love these two words together. Grace is God giving you something that you don't deserve that's good. God gives you good in your life that you don't deserve. Mercy is God holding back from your life the bad you do deserve. The the punishment, the consequence. So you see how they work in tandem? God, grace, God given me good that I don't deserve. Mercy, oh, thank you, Lord, for holding back some of the bad I do deserve. God, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Man, look at these three words, slow to anger. Not like us, is he? Slow to anger. He's not... Folks, God's not looking for the reason to finally be done with you. Do you understand that? He's not quick to get angry with you. He's not quick to say, ah, finally, I got you. Remember, all your sins, he's already seen all of them. He's seen sins you don't know anything about. They're five years away. So there's no reason for God to hide behind a corner and catch you, is there? There's no reason for God to, ah, finally. No, he's not looking for the reason to be done with you. He's slow to anger. He's patient with you. Abounding. I love the word abounding. Just picture that fountain. It's just got a constant source of, of water. It's constantly bubbling up. And I mean, even if, the, even if somebody comes by and chips out part of the fountain and water starts to pour out, water still pours because it's, it's got this constant source. That's what abounding is. God is abounding. There's a constant source. It never runs out. It never empties. He's abounding in steadfast love. That's love that doesn't quit. That's love that is Faithful. God is being faithful to himself. 
when he forgives you and me. It's who he is. It's his character. God is faithful. God's also, look at the second word, just. Now, I find that an interesting word to use right here. I I wouldn't think if I'm going to confess something to God that I'm going to be calling on his justice. I mean, think about it. When you say or you've heard said, justice has been done, what do we usually mean by that? We usually mean somebody just got their fanny handed to them, right? They got caught and they got punished. They got caught and they were fired. They got caught and they were kicked off the team. They got caught and they went to prison. Justice has been... If you notice that phrase, justice has been done, always means something just bad's happened to somebody. But we all believe it. they had it coming, right? So if I'm going before God and confessing my sin, justice isn't what I'm looking for. <laughs> I'm not looking for God to do to me what I have come to me. Hey, I, why would I be praying? Why would I be holding on to justice when I'm confessing wrong? Watch this, folks. It's incredible. It is just for God to forgive you. It's not just for him to throw you in prison. It's not just for, you, for him to kick you out of the family. It is just for God to forgive you. Why? Because it's already been paid for. If it's already been paid for, then to to require some payment again, well, that would be injustice, wouldn't it? This sin's been paid for. You see, folks, what I talked about a moment ago, we had that place in our lives where we came to faith in Christ. Three years old, 53 years old, whatever the circumstances, whatever's going on, we came to the end of ourselves. We came and placed our our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And, And the Bible calls that salvation. The Bible calls that being rescued. And what's happening is, folks, what justice is, is God's righteous wrath, God's righteous judgment falling on my sin. When I've been rescued from that, what happens is I'm going and literally just picture me sliding under Christ. I'm just, I'm just balled up here. I'm hiding under Christ. And if you would just imagine Christ scooping all the sin out of my life. He's just scooping all that sin off my back. And he puts it on his own. And while I hide under him, the righteous wrath of God falls on my sin. And he catches every bit of it. That's what happened at the cross, right? It was violent. It was horrific. Because your sin has a horribly high price. Regardless of what you think about it, regardless of what the world says about it, your sin has an awful price that's been paid for. That's been paid for. When you came to the end of yourself and you came and hid your life under Christ, it was punished. God is being just when he forget, listen, here's what we're talking about, folks. It's, it's what we're counting on when we go and stand before God. And if you think about what you're counting on when you go and stand before people and confess something to them, I mean, I'm, I'm counting on them being in a good mood. I'm counting on them really liking me. I'm counting on them saying, well, I mean, I know I did this wrong thing, but I'm really, really a good person. And you see that, don't you? And, I, and I'm, I'm hoping maybe they, that, that, that wrong I done isn't so big a deal after all, or maybe it's not even wrong. That's not what we're counting on. Do you realize every single one of your sins was punished? The question is, do I catch that punishment or does Jesus catch that punishment? Every one of my sins has been paid for on Christ, in Christ. So God is just. 
He's being just as a judge to say, you've been forgiven. That, that, that's, been, that's, been, that's been paid for. This case is closed. You see the power? Of, my, folks, when we go before God, it's not on a wish and a prayer. That, that sounds funny, doesn't it? <laughs> We're not going there wishing and hoping. We're going there anchored to who God is, forgiving. To what he's done, paid for the crime. So that forgiveness can justly be given. And, and yet we still struggle with trusting. We still struggle with trusting that forgiveness. Maybe it's just because of our experience with each other. Right? Yeah. I mean, you ever told somebody you forgave them and then not so much? <laughs> I mean, you forgave them. You wanted to forgive them. You tried to forgive them. But boy, you saw them a week later, a month later, and is burning, Right? And you've had people tell you that they forgive you, but the relationship wasn't the same. You have to, hey, I'll, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. So we know this is a common experience with forgiveness. So what we end up doing is just kind of wondering, well, I wonder if the same is true with God. I wonder, God says, oh, I forgive you, but I'm not forgiving. Don't put on God our character. Don't put on God our character. He has communicated, he has demonstrated what his character is. Let me say it one more time. When you go before God, you're not hoping in a feeling that maybe it'll be there, maybe it won't tomorrow. You're going there anchored to who he is as a forgiving God. Anchored to what he's done in actually providing that forgiveness. Maybe... Maybe we don't trust. It's, it's, not, it's not that we don't see the word all. We know all sins are forgiven. It, it's just we want, maybe we've wondered if we've crossed the line, right? I mean, here again, what's our experience with each other? If we're all honest, when we say I love you, that's never actually the end of the sentence. The actual end of the sentence is this. I love you to a point. I mean, a lot of times, well, I, don't, I don't think we feel the need to finish it with that. But that's the reality. And the point's a little bit different for every relationship. It kind of depends on how engaged, how invested I already am in the relationship. But I mean, folks, the reality of the human experience is I love you to a point. But there is a line. And, and, and so it's hard not to wonder. I know God forgives. I know he loves me. But I wonder if I cross the line. I wonder if I reach that point. Oh, folks, God's got an answer for that. Romans 5.20, where sin increases. When you, when you got to that point and then increased right past it. When you not only went over the line, you just kept right on going. Sin just kept increasing. Sin just kept building. Grace I love that word, abounds. We're back to that fountain. It just runs and it runs and it runs. I mean, folks, I think sometimes we're afraid, but I'm going to go before God and I'm going to ask, I'm going to confess his forgiveness and he's going to go, you again? Are you serious? You, you confessed that last time. Oh my gosh. And he looks over in the bucket of forgiveness with, with my name on it. And he, oh my, my, I mean, we're right down to the bottom. Let me see if I can, oh man, I'm scraping. I don't think there's enough this time. I mean, that's kind of reality. That's kind of how we treat each other. Folks, God's never looking down, scraping the bucket, hoping he can dig out enough grace for you. It abounds. 
It superabounds. God has enough grace for every single confession. He, you realize why he said that? Because he knows how we think. He knows what our human experience is. He's answering the very question. We just don't trust. Isn't God incredible, folks, what he's answered? What he, he already knows where we're going, not just in sin, but in our messed up minds, in our deceived minds. He knows where we're going, and he answers. The, he does more than provide a fix. He provides a promise, doesn't he? Folks, what's needed for a relationship with God, what's needed to to live in a growing, thriving, joyous relationship with God is not a perfect life. It's a forgiven life. You know what? Let me rephrase that because that's not entirely true. What is needed to come into a relationship with God and, and live with God, like live in His house, is an absolutely holy, perfect, sinless life. And none of us is even close to that. It's, it's really, it's almost a joke that we think we got some kind of measuring rod. I'm pretty close. I'm pretty good. You're not, you're not even on the radar. It's, it's not even measurable how unlike God you are. How unlike His home and the way things operate in His home. It, it's, it's amazing how unlike that we are. But He loves. And He provides a way for you into that home. And folks, the power of Jesus' blood is so great that it not only provides a way for me into the relationship, but it maintains the relationship. God has enough grace for every line you've crossed. Now let me, I, I need to wrap up. One more, I, I think there's, after all this, that we could just get so excited about one more question. Um, when you hear that, that God has enough grace, all sins, does that just blow your heart open wide for love for God and awe for God? Does it make you think, gosh, I hate my sin? can't believe I, I return to that and that I do that. I want to love God. I want to be able to express that love. I don't want these things in my life telling God that I really don't love Him. Does it make you, does it make you grieve your sin as you grow in love for God? Or does it do this? And the reason I say this is I know, I know this thought process has run in my mind. I don't think that many of you are that much better than me. Or does hearing about God's forgiveness, does, has it ever led you to think, so I can do this and it'll be okay? I, I, I can do this and I'll be forgiven. Folks, forgiveness is a rescue from you destroying every good thing that God has in His home for you. It's not permission to keep tearing everything up. Right? Forgiveness is a safety net, not a parachute. You understand the difference? Nobody actually wants to use the safety net. They're just glad it's there because it saves their life, right? But a parachute, no, you want to use that. Is forgiveness for you a safety net that protects you when you've fallen? 
Or is it permission for you to go ahead and jump? Because it'll all work out on the other side. If, if that is, I, won't, I, I wouldn't challenge if, if you've ever had that thought once, but if that's kind of an ongoing way that you're approaching life, and, and I hope you hear this gently, I hope you hear it lovingly, I, I would encourage you to question whether you're really a child of God. Because what it means to be a child of God is I have found there nothing of greater value, nothing more important, nothing I need more in this life than to know God. And I am totally dependent upon His love making that happen. And so to say that I'm trusting in that love, but the character of my life, the the constant behavior of my life is to tell God, no, I really don't love you that much. Then I think at some point we have to question, what is it we think we're trusting in? Are, Are we genuinely a child of God? And here's why that's important to to evaluate that. If you're not a child of God, this promise isn't yours. If you're not a child of God, this promise is not yours. And if you're here today and you've thought you're a child of God, maybe now you're questioning, or you're here today and you've never been a child of God, hey, the good news is God's got love and God's got forgiveness ready to make that happen in your life. And boy, I trust a lot of us in here have said, no, I'm, I'm wholly dependent upon His love. I'm wholly dependent upon His forgiveness. And we've crawled up under Jesus. Amen? And God's got everything we need so that we can, can grow in and enjoy that our lives have crawled up under Jesus. I, I don't want to just go there for insurance. I want to enjoy knowing Him and living with Him. Amen? And God's got a promise for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You see everything. You know every question, every fear. You know every doubt. You know every sin. And you have gone out there and you have answered every question. You've resolved every doubt. You've paid for every sin. God, help my unbelief. God, help my unbelief. Lord, I thank you for this promise. That, that really is the door to enjoying all of the promises you have for us. May I rightly, may I faithfully hold on to and use this great promise you've given to me that you've given to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.